0: chapter 4 of betty wales freshman this librax recording is in the public domain betty wales freshman by margaret ward chapter 4 whose photograph the dancing class went briskly on so did the livy class and the geometry the english one the french required and the history elective The freshmen were getting acquainted with one another now, and seldom confused their classmates with seniors or youthful members of the faculty. They no longer attempted to go out of chapel ahead of the seniors, or invaded the President's house in their frantic search for Science Hall or the Art Gallery, for October was fast wearing away, the hills about Harding showed flaming patches of scarlet, and it was time for the Sophomore reception and Mountain Day. Betty was very much excited about the reception, but she felt also that a load would slip off her shoulders when it was over. She was anxious about the progress of the dancing pupils, who had increased to five, besides Helen and Adelaide, and for whom she felt a personal responsibility, because the Chapin house girls persisted in calling the class hers. And what would father say if they didn't get their money's worth? Then there was Helen's dress for the reception, which she was sure was a fright, but couldn't get up the courage to inquire about. And last and worst of all was the mysterious grind-book and Dorothy King's warning about Father's telegram to the registrar. She had never mentioned the incident to anybody, but from certain annoying remarks that Mary Brooks let fall she was sure that Mary knew all about it and that the sophomores were planning to make telling use of it. "'How's your friend the registrar?' Mary would inquire solemnly every few days. And if Betty refused to answer, she would say slyly, Who met you at the station? Did you tell me? Or only Dottie King? Until Betty almost decided to stop her by telling the whole story. Two days before the reception, she took Rachel and Catherine into her confidence about Helen's dress. You see, if I could only look at it, maybe I could show her how to fix it up, she explained. But I'm afraid to ask. I'm pretty sure she's sensitive about her looks and her clothes. I should want to be told if I was such a fright, but maybe she's happier not knowing. She can't help knowing if she stays here long, said Rachel. Why don't you get out your dress, and then perhaps she'll show hers, suggested Catherine. I could do that, assented Betty doubtfully. I could find a place to mend, I guess. Chiffon tears so easily. Good idea, said Rachel heartily. Try that, and then, if she doesn't bite, you'd better let things take their course. But it is too bad to have her go looking like a frump. "'and all the trouble we've taken with her dancing.' "'Betty went back to her room, sat down at her desk, "'and began again at her livy. "'For I might as well finish this first, she thought. "'And it was half an hour before she shut the scarlet-covered book with a slam "'and announced, somewhat ostentatiously, that she had finished her Latin lesson. "'And now I must mend my dress for the reception,' she went on consciously. "'Mother is always cautioning me not to wait till the last minute to fix things.' Did you look up all the constructions in the livy? asked Helen. Betty was so annoyingly quick about everything. No, returned Betty cheerfully from the closet, where she was rummaging for her dress. I shall guess at those. Why don't you try it? Oh dear, this is dreadfully must. And she appeared in the closet door with a fluffy white skirt over her arm. How pretty exclaimed Helen, deserting her livy to examine it. Is it long? Um said Betty, taking a pin out of her mouth and hunting frantically for a microscopic rip. Yes, it's long, and it has a train. My brother Will persuaded Mother to let me have one. Wasn't he a brick? Yes, said Helen shortly, going back to her desk and opening her book again. Presently she hitched her chair around to face Betty. Mine's awfully short, she said. Is it? asked Betty politely. There was a pause. Then, would you care to see it? asked Helen. Betty winked at the green lizard. Yes, indeed, she said cordially. Why don't you try it on to be sure it's all right? I'm going to put on mine in just a minute. She breathed a sigh of relief when she saw the dress. It was a simple white muslin. The sleeves were queer, the neck too high to be low, and too low to be high, and the skirt ridiculously short. But it might have been a lot worse, reflected Betty, if she'll only fix it. Wait a minute she said after she had duly admired it. "'I'll put mine on, and we'll see how we both look dressed up.' "'You look like a regular princess out of a storybook,' said Helen solemnly, when Betty turned to her for inspection. Betty laughed. "'Oh, wait till tomorrow night,' she said. "'My hair's all mussed now. I wonder how you'd look with your hair low, Helen?' Helen flushed and bit her lip. "'I shan't look anyhow in this horrid short dress,' she said. Then why don't you make it longer and lower in the neck? inquired Betty impatiently. Helen was as conscientiously slow about making up her mind as she was about learning her livy. It's hemmed, isn't it? Anyhow, you could piece it under the ruffle. Do you suppose Mamma would care? said Helen dubiously. Anyway, I don't believe I have time, only till tomorrow night. Oh, I'll show you how, Betty broke in eagerly, and if your mother should object, you could put it back, you know. You begin ripping out the hem, and then we'll hang it. Helen Chase Adams proved to be a painstaking and extremely slow sewer. Besides, she insisted on taking time off to learn her history and geometry, instead of risking them, as Betty did, and urged her to do. The result was that Betty had refused Mary Brooks' invitation to come down to the gym and dance the wax into that blooming floor the next afternoon, and was tired and cross by the time she had done Helen's hair low, hooked her into the transformed dress and finished her toilette she had never thought to ask the name of helen's junior and was surprised and pleased when dorothy king appeared at their door dorothy's amazement was undisguised you'll have to be costumer for our house-plays next year miss wales she said while betty blushed and contradicted all helen's explanations you're coming on the campus of course so virtue isn't its only reward after all said eleanor watson who had come in just in time to hear Miss King's remark. Helen Chase Adams isn't exactly a vision of loveliness yet. She won't be mistaken for the college beauty, but she's vastly improved. I only wish anybody cared to take as much trouble for me. Oh, Eleanor, said Betty, reproachfully, as if anyone could improve you. Eleanor's evening dress was a pale yellow satin that brought out the brown lights in her hair and eyes and the gleaming whiteness of her shoulders— There were violets in her hair, which was piled high on her head, and more violets at her waist. And as she stood, full in the light, smiling at Betty's earnestness, Betty was sure she had never seen anyone half so lovely. But I wish you wouldn't be so sarcastic over Helen, she went on stoutly. She can't help being such a freak. Eleanor yawned. I was born sarcastic, she said. I wished Lil' Day would hurry. Did you happen to notice that I cut three classes straight this morning? no said betty aghast oh eleanor how dare you when she stopped suddenly remembering that eleanor had asked her not to speak of the entrance conditions when i have so much to make up already you mean eleanor went on complacently oh i shall manage somehow here they come a few moments later the freshmen and sophomore classes with a sprinkling of juniors to make the numbers even were gathered en masse in the big gymnasium All the afternoon loyal sophomores had toiled thither from the various campus houses, lugging palms, screens, portieres, and pillows. Inside, another contingent had arranged these contributions, festooned the running track with red and green bunting, risked their lives to fasten Japanese lanterns to the crossbeams, and discussed the apparatus against the walls with great branches of spruce and cedar which still other merry wind-blown damsels driving a long suffering horse had deposited at intervals near the back door by 5 o'clock it was finished and everybody having assured everybody else that the gym never looked so well before had gone home to dress for the evening now the light softened what mary brooks called the hideous greens of the freshman bunting a band played sweet music behind the palms and pretty girls in pretty gowns sat in couples on the divans that lined the walls or waited in line to speak to the receiving party this consisted of jean eastman and the sophomore president who stood in front of the fireplace where a line of ropes intended to be used in gym practice had been looped back and made the best sort of foundation for a green canopy over their heads ten of the prettiest sophomores acted as ushers and four popular and much envied seniors presided at the frappe bowls in the four corners of the room there's not much excitement about a manless dance "'But it's a fascinating thing to watch,' said Eleanor to her partner, as they stood in the running track looking down at the dancers. "'I'm afraid you're blasé, Miss Watson,' returned the sophomore. "'Only seniors are allowed to dislike girl dances.' Eleanor laughed. "'Well, I seem to be the only heretic present,' she said. "'They're certainly having a good time down there.' "'They certainly were. The novelty of the occasion appealed to the freshmen.' and the more sophisticated sophomores were bound to make a reputation as gallant bows so although only half the freshmen could dance at once and even then the floor was dreadfully crowded and in spite of the fact that the only refreshment was the rather watery frappe which gave out early in the evening the nineteen o blanks reception to nineteen o blank was voted a great success at nine o'clock the sophomore ushers began arranging the couples in a long line leading to the grind table and betty knew that her hour had come The orchestra played a march, and as the girls walked past the table, the sophomore officers presented each freshman with a small booklet bound in the freshman green, on the front of which, in letters of sophomore scarlet, was the cryptic legend, Puzzle, Name the Girl. This was explained, however, by the inside, where appeared a small and rather cloudy blueprint, showing the back view of a girl in shirtwaist and short skirt, with a pile of books under her arm and the inevitable tam on her head on the opposite page was a facsimile telegraph blank filled out to the registrar please meet my dear young daughter who will arrive on Thursday by the six fifteen and oblige thomas everybody laughed pushed her neighbors around for a back view and asked the sophomores if the telegram had truly been sent and if this was the real girl's picture so no one noticed betty's blushes except mary brooks upon whom she vowed eternal vengeance for she remembered how one afternoon the week before she and mary had started from the house together and mary who said she was taking her camera downtown for a new film had dropped behind on some pretext betty had been sure she heard the camera click but mary had grinned and told her not to be so vain of her back however nobody recognized the picture the few sophomores who knew anything about it were pledged to secrecy as the grinds were never allowed to become too personal, and the freshmen treated the telegram as an amusing myth. In a few minutes everyone was dancing again, and only too soon it was ten o'clock. "'Wasn't it fun?' said Betty enthusiastically, as she and Helen undressed. "'Oh, yes,' agreed Helen. "'I never had such a good time in my life. But do you know, Miss Watson says she was bored, and Roberta thought it was tiresome, and the grind book silly and impossible.' Truth is stranger than fiction sometimes, said Betty sagely, smothering a laugh in the pillows. She was asleep in five minutes, but Helen lay for a long while, thinking over the exciting events of the evening. How she had dreaded it! At home she hated dances and never went if she could help it, because she was such a wallflower. She had been afraid it would be the same here, but it wasn't. What a lovely time she had had! she could dance so well now and miss king's friends were so nice and college was such a beautiful place though it was so different from what she had expected across the hall roberta had lighted her student lamp and was sitting up to write an appreciative and very clever account of the evening to her cousin who was reporter on a boston paper and had made her promise to send him an occasional college item and eleanor still in the yellow satin sat at her desk scribbling aimlessly on a pad of paper, or staring at a clean sheet, which began, My dear father. She had meant to write him that she was tired of college and wanted to come home at once, but somehow she couldn't begin, for she thought, I can see him raise his eyebrows and smile and say, So you want to throw up the sponge, do you? I was under the impression that you had promised to stay out the year, as he did to the private secretary who wouldn't sit up with him till three in the morning to write letters. Finally, she tore up my dear father and went to bed in the dark. End of chapter 4